You are listening to Pursuing Justice, and I am your host, Harriet Hendel. As usual, we have a theme which will tie the next four podcasts together. How many of my listeners are familiar with the Pennsylvania Prison Society in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia? I wasn't. This organization was founded in 1787. Around 1783, Benjamin Rush and Ben Franklin started a reform movement to change what was a harsh penal code and improve conditions at the Walnut Street Jail in Philadelphia, of course. In 1787, the Pennsylvania Prison Society was founded but it had a different name back then. Philadelphia Society for Alleviating the Miseries of Public Prisons, and that name stuck for a hundred years. The Walnut Street Jail became the first prison in Pennsylvania, a kind of showplace with workshops for the inmates, followed by the opening of Eastern State Penitentiary in 1829. That facility had cells big enough to house a work area with a small exercise yard, a flush toilet, long before there was one at the White House, central heating and shower baths. Pretty impressive for the time. So now we give a warm welcome to two people who are dedicated to the mission of the Pennsylvania Prison Society, Anton Andrew and John Hargraves. They will tell you more about their connection to the organization. We were supposed to also have Kirsten Cornell on today, but she was not able to be with us today, but she will be here at a later time, another another week. So John has been with the society for 15 years, first as a volunteer, and now on staff as volunteer director. He oversees more than 300 volunteers. He has a master's in criminology. And Anton is the public affairs fellow for the society, working to increase the society's visibility in the legislature and to advocate for change. He was a public defender for 25 years, along with being an educator and a local advocate. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Harriet. Good good to have you with us. So uh, since we only have a a short amount of time today to kind of do sort of an overview, and then each of you will come back to tell us more in depth about your, your role at the society. Let me ask you, how did you each become part of the Pennsylvania Prison Society? Well, I'll defer to John since he's been here a little bit longer than I have. All right, sounds good. Go ahead. Thank you, Anton. I think we should make the point up front yes. that we're a nonprofit and we have state mandate guidance that allows us through the state law to have our volunteers go into all the state and county prisons in Pennsylvania to meet with the incarcerated population. Pennsylvania is unique in this respect and that we're simply a a citizen's group who shows up at prisons nine to five, seven days a week and has to speak with the uh, people that are locked up behind the fences and behind the bars. 
It's based on our mission of a humane and just criminal justice system. We believe in transparency for the prisons. After all, prisons are financed by taxpayers. So this is tax money that's being spent on behalf of these people that are behind the bars. So it's important to understand that we are an independent agency from the state government of just a, a group of citizens. Having said that, we do have 300 volunteers as was enunciated earlier across the state. I started as a volunteer about 40 years ago and was going into two prisons primarily and then was hired as director of volunteers based on the vast treasure trove of experience I had over these many years. And we uh, go in to meet with people that are incarcerated. My job as director of volunteers is to help uh, organize this process. I'll hand off to Anton now to tell us a little bit of his experience. Okay, great. Thank you, John. Yeah, Harriet, um, I appreciate the resume inflation. Um, <laughs> I have been for the last 25 years a combination of all those roles. That's what I thought. I, I spent the first eight years of my career as a public defender. Um, then I became an educator, um, became involved with environmental justice, and most recently ran uh, for public office um, here in Pennsylvania. So when I heard about the Prison Society and their work, the fact that I'd spent 25 years in total basically trying to give a voice to voiceless communities, um, including some uh, that were represented and looked like me. Um, I'm the son of West Indian immigrants who came here when I was 10 um, and lived in a community that was disproportionately impacted by over-policing. So when I saw the Prison Society was looking for somebody um, to join its team, it was a no-brainer for me. Um, I've only been here a couple months, but I've had the pleasure of um, you know, working with a really visionary group of people who've been doing this for you know, over two, 200 years and whose mission, and I hope we'll get into that later, I think is more relevant than it has been at any point in its history. That's, that's funny you should say uh, something about your mission because that was my next question. Thank you for the segue. Um, what I was gonna say was I am fascinated, absolutely fascinated by the age of your organization and why it was needed at that time. And I would very much like you to share your um, mission with our listeners. What, what is the mission? Sure. So I'll start with the mission. And it began in 1787, where the Prison Society, from then until now, it's worked to ensure that we have more humane prison and jail conditions. And we've advocated for a sensible approach to criminal justice. And despite the fact that it almost sounded like a holiday in the way you described <laughs> the, the early jail that we had here in Philadelphia, Walnut Street Jail, which is right behind Independence Hall. Yeah. The truth of the matter is, in spite of all those great things, mm. in the 1780s at that time, all prisoners at the Walnut Street Jail, we're talking women, children, and men, were held in a large room together. Uh, the prisoners there were awaiting trial, and they typically might barter their clothes for liquor. Oh 
or forcibly be stripped by other inmates who are searching for cash to basically fund their purchases at a cash bar. Um, I, the estimates, I believe, were about 20 gallons of alcohol per day were brought in by the jailer. And clearly, you could see this was a very lucrative business for the jailer. But I'm sure you can imagine the kind of suffering and deprivation, especially when the weather turned cold. Mm. So in 1788, the prison society um, pushed, you know, pushed for more, uh, more humane treatment of the people in custody and pushed for the Walnut Street Jail to become the first penitentiary in the country where you had people in individual cells with the idea that they could spend that time getting closer to their maker, um, getting closer to their spirituality and moving away from whatever had brought them to end up in that, uh, in that situation. Hmm. By, well, oh, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I was going to say by 1829, uh, the prison society had evolved and was actually appointed as the outside overseer of the building of the Eastern state penitentiary. But more importantly, that was the same year that the prison society volunteers were granted access to all prisons in PA through acts of the legislature. Mm. That's unprecedented access. You know, very few people have that, um, including our governor. Um, and that is access that is and was unmatched anywhere in the nation. There is mm. no other nonprofit, non-governmental organization that has that level of access to people who are in custody. That's fascinating. Now, you mentioned children uh, when you were saying about what, how the, uh, they were housed in one room. What were children doing there? Uh, that's a good question, Harriet. There, there were various offenses, um, from property offenses to more serious offenses. Um, our jails were often also used um, for people who were in debt. So I could surmise that some of those young people who were in custody were there for, you know, any one of those areas. Hmm. And just to be clear, we still lock up children, but we've evolved oh. to the point where they're in separate facilities. Yes, we do, John. And that that is an issue so very, very close to my heart. But I was just wondering, you know, all those years ago, uh, what the children were, were doing there. Now, I wanted to ask you kind of both um, the same question um, and answer it the best you can. John, you said how long you've been with the group. Um, over the years, how have you seen um, it change or e the word evolve comes to mind um, or not? Have you seen changes? I'll let John take the lead on that, because like you said, John has been here longer. Yeah, okay. We've oriented over the years to a more direct service agency. We used to put on programs in the prisons, particularly around how the elderly get along in prisons and preparing for reentry. We don't do that per se anymore. Rather, we spend our time visiting with the, in, the prisoners, and dealing with the issues as they arise. We do have some specific programs the prison society runs that are largely outside prisons, except for our mentoring program, which is at two state prisons. 
where we mentor men at these two prisons as they're getting ready to be released. And then after they're released too, we keep contact with them and help them out adjust to the community. Other programs we're running now that we didn't always run are buses to 21 state prisons. These are subsidized buses for family members from Philadelphia that go throughout Pennsylvania so that loved ones can visit with one another. We have a magazine called Greater Friends that's distributed six times a year. That's about 20 pages that's oriented toward the people in prisons. And it's written almost exclusively by people in prisons. They share with us and then we publish it. Hmm. That's uh, some of the th things we have changed over the years. I, I would also mention, um, just for the record, we are no longer involved in overseeing the building of any prisons. So, um, so I, you know, and that's a joke because, you know, at one point with the creation of Eastern State Penitentiary, we, we advised on what um, a facility should look like. But on a more serious note, the biggest change that I think um, we can point to, and this is since the beginning of the creation of the organization is our network of over 350 trained volunteers. Mm -hmm. um, and that those volunteers before the pandemic were conducting hundreds of visits to correctional facilities across the state um, every month. We, I think something that we've also realized that a shift in our thinking or an, I'd say an evolution in our thinking has become that we are, you know, as prisons have become increasingly closed off from the public. So with the Walnut Street Jail, you, you people came in and out of there. It was almost like Grand Central Station. Um, and people had a very clear, clear idea of what was going on in those facilities because the access was not limited. Mm -hmm. I think as it has become more limited, as um, people who are locked up have become physically uh, more distant from the places they live. You know, John talked about the busing program um, where, you know, the majority of the people who are uh, Pennsylvania prisoners within the state system, or sorry, are Philadelphia residents within our state system of uh, corrections. They're housed, you know, 50 miles or more away from where the where they live and where the alleged offenses happen. So we realize that it's important that we continue to directly keep the public aware of what's going on behind prison walls. And part of that is being more focused on gathering and sharing data obtained through these visits and our access. Um, and we do that in regular reports and fact sheets, many of which you can find on our website, um, which I don't know if we mentioned is prisonsociety.org yeah, and information that we share with um, the public as well as the elected officials responsible for those correctional institutions. Well, that's great. It, it really is you, a unique society. I'm learning more and more as you speak. Um, would you give that website one more time? Sure. It is prisonsociety.org. Easy so, enough. Okay. Easy enough. <laughs> right. Um, the, all right. So we talked about how over the years changes have taken place for for the better certainly um has its purpose changed in any way since 1787 yeah i, I would say harriet um our mission hasn't changed all that much 
It's rather the sort of overlapping crises we have of decades of mass incarceration, a once in a century pandemic, and a renewed sense of urgency to address systemic racism. All of those things together have brought into a sharper focus the fundamental and undeniable truth about our work. And that is whatever happens to people behind bars can and does affect the life of the broader public. So whether you look at the fact that, you know, COVID has shown that prisons pose threats not only to the health of the incarcerated and correction staff, but to surrounding communities, or whether you look at the fact that, you know, Pennsylvania spends over $4 billion a year in taxpayer money to warehouse an increasingly sick and aging prison population, it just heightens the fact that we need this level of public oversight. We need that information getting out to the people who are making the decisions to invest that money, to lock up that many people um, so that we're doing something that makes sense both for the people who are in custody and the people who are not. Who are not, right. And just, just to follow up on that, just briefly, as part of our role with visiting behind the walls, we do share what we find with the Department of Corrections who run the state prisons, of which there are about 37,000 prisoners. And we try to sit down with county prison wardens and county prison boards and share with them what we find in the county prisons. And once again, there are about 35 county prisons, county, 35,000 uh, prisoners in county prisons also. So we're bumping up against 80,000 people locked up in Pennsylvania. That's quite a bit. Um, I wanted before we run out of time, um, Anton. I think I think John. I understand somewhat of your role, and you're going to have a chance to tell us a, a whole lot more in your individual interview, as will you, Anton. But um, Anton, tell us a little bit about your role and your job. What what actually do you do? Um, that is a really good question. Um, I mean, that, that, that really is. Um, my job is education and advocacy fellow is basically to try to fill that void that I was talking about earlier of reliable and independent information about what's happening in Pennsylvania's local states and prisons. Um, we want to make sure that the public and elected officials and even appointed administrators who are responsible for this $4 billion a year industry have a real true picture of what's going on. And so I basically highlight, amplify um, the work that our prison monitoring is doing. You know, John can speak more about that. The work that our social supports are doing. Um, Kirsten, who's not here, uh, we can speak a little bit more about that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I amplify their work to the public and elected officials to make sure that they have enough information and they have it in a timely enough manner so that they can act on it. I see. And um, let's, even though she isn't here and we will pick her up at a later time, um, kind of round out the circle and tell us um, what her role is at the society. Sure. I, I can jump in or John, if you want to. Uh, Go ahead, Anton. Okay. Well, Kirsten's work in terms of social support is based on 
the fact that prisons are isolating by design. They separate mothers, fathers from their partners, their children, their communities. And Kirsten's work and our work around social support um, basically is trying to build and repair bridges between people on the inside and their families and communities and loved ones on the outside. So whether that's through, as John mentioned, the busing or whether it's through programming, which um, prepares um, people who are in custody for coming back out as better parents, as better, I wouldn't say better, excuse me, having, having more skills as parents or partners, um, we, and Kirsten work, does specifically work to make sure that um, those connections um, are not only maintained, but are strengthened so that, you know, when people return to their communities, they're ready to, to fully engage and also less likely to return to a correctional institution. Right. One of the things um, we know is that if we, as a society, support that family connection, there are so many benefits. One of the biggest ones is um, a reduction in violence, because if you are going to be disruptive, then one of the punishments will be to take your visits away. And certainly nobody wants that. So I think it's a great motivator. And also I think there is an impact on recidivism, both. both. So uh, I think what you do in terms of, of helping people get to the prison is, uh, is, is wonderful, really. So very, very much needed. So we, we're down to a few minutes. Uh, we still have a little bit of time. Um, John, um, would you like to add something about your role uh, at the society? Well, you had just brought up recidivism, Harry. Mm -hmm. And I think it's instrumental to point out in Pennsylvania, we have a 65% recidivism rate, Ooh. which means six and a half of every 10 people released from prison will return. That's pretty abysmal. It sure so is. If we can integrate them back into their communities, and through some kind of reentry programs, halfway houses, drug and alcohol treatment, everybody's so much the better that'll reduce the number of victims. Because each time somebody's committing a crime, somebody else is going to be a victim. Yeah. And that, that's quite obvious. Yeah. That's um, when when we do your individual interview, John. Um, I would love to hear so much more about what exactly. Uh, all your volunteers do and uh, how how they came to be volunteers. I, I can't, uh, I just can't believe how many you have. I think it's so impressive that that many people care about what's going on inside. And that, that I think is um, what drives me is that I want people to understand what prison life is like um, and I think most people don't know and don't care unless they are personally impacted. So um, I think you you will add uh, to that picture, 
uh, I hope, when we speak. I'll be happy to. Yes, thank you. Good, good. Um, is there anything else? We're, we're almost out of time. We only just have about a minute or so left. Anything that either of you would like to add before we close? Uh, sure. Really quickly, Harriet, thank you again for the opportunity to be on your show. And just wanted to build really quickly on something you said that most people don't know or they don't care. I think what we realize at the Prison Society is most people don't care because they don't know. Because once they have their eyes opened, Good point. Um, and I'll tell you, that's one of the best things about my job is just seeing that look on people's faces. Like, I didn't know that. We need mm -hmm. to do something about that. So I appreciate great, you great helping point. us open more eyes. And Very it's good. been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon. Um, that's a great, I love that point you made. That is really, really true. Just reverse my words. And that was, that's great. Yes. Thank you both for being on uh, Pursuing Justice today. And uh, we will see our listeners next time on Pursuing Justice. And I'm Harriet Handel. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to my podcast today. You've been listening to Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. And I'm your host, Harriet.